Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Pim Fox, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day, we bring you the most important, noteworthy, and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Bloomberg.com. All right, so let's actually get a sense of exactly what we are expecting from those tariffs. Andrew Cosgrove joins us now. He's a senior analyst uh, for energy and mining with Bloomberg Intelligence. Andrew, what are we expecting to hear? Um, I don't think anybody really has a a clear-cut expectation on what we're going to hear. I think if... Given that Trump is acting pretty rogue at the moment and not really uh, tabling a lot of opinions, given the Commerce Department's emissions, but hey, if he if he goes with 24% tariffs on steel, it is absolutely off. We will be off to the races. Um, although, you know, given that it, nothing will be signed today, um, as far as I'm concerned and as far as I know, um, so it doesn't mean that everything is set in stone, so to speak. But it certainly um, will help put a floor under some of these stocks, steel specifically, aluminum less so. I think we're a little bit less bullish on the aluminum decision because the U.S. market is in a structural deficit, so we need imports um, to satisfy our downstream industry. And if those imports or exports to the U.S. do not have a home in the U.S., then they just sit on the, on the international market and will suppress prices. All right, but just uh, take a step back. And yeah. why is President Trump expected to make some kind of tariff announcement today? Uh, and what is the process once he has announced something for it to become law? In other words, does he make an announcement at a, at a at like a stump speech and then it's it's the law of the land? Yeah, there is. Congress has already kind of, you know, blessed this essentially. So um, they would have to pass a law that would reverse this, so to speak. So whatever he kind of signs at whatever point in time, again, don't expect anything to be signed today. But um, he has until the middle of April, um, which was the end of the 90-day countdown clock that started in mid-January, to make a decision given the fact that the Commerce Department submitted their findings to him, like I said, in the middle of January. So um, that's kind of the, the timetable in which we're at. So we're getting an announcement uh, about a month and a half sooner than, than, the, than the end game. Well, uh, Dave Wilson, uh, just to get your thoughts here, because while you may see an increase or a floor, as uh, Andrew said, on the, uh, the stock prices of companies like AK Steel and, uh, and U.S. Steel, I'm looking at the shares of Caterpillar right now. They're down nine-tenths of a percent. What about all the companies that use steel and aluminum Aren't they going to end up with higher input costs? Well, that's the risk that you take here in defending the metal producers. You're, you are imposing more costs on metal consumers. And then you have to think about, well, what does it mean in terms of inflation? That really does seem to be the bogeyman, you might say, for markets at this point. So the whole idea that you would get imported inflation, in essence, I mean, if U.S. Uh, producers are able to uh, raise their prices, perhaps because of the uh, leeway they have with uh, less competitive imports, well, that is something that uh, may change the inflation picture. Maybe not in a substantial way, but enough to sort of add to the drumbeat on that score. Andrew, you got a thought on this? Oh, yeah. No, I agree 100%. Um, I mean, I think 2017 was all about the 
the year-over-year price increases that we saw come through on the commodity side, 2018 will be all about those commodity increases feeding through into the middle part of the supply chain. Um, if you take autos, for example, 3 to 4% of the entire cost to produce a car uh, is comprised of steel. Um, so again, it's, it's, not, it's not the end of the world for a U.S. automaker if prices go up, which again, let's just think about it this way, a 24% tariff on top of what was already there now, you have a lower U.S. dollar, um, which is trending at about 7% year on year in 2018. So, and, you know, prices continue to go up. That's upwards of 30% on a, on a 3 to 4% base. So if it goes from 3 to 4%, it goes to maybe 5%. It's not the end of the world, but again, will the auto companies pass those on? You know, that's, that, that's up for debate. They'll probably try, but, um, given the, you know, tightened purse strings of the U.S. consumer, it's, yeah. it's also tough to argue. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew Cosgrove, senior analyst, uh, focusing on energy and mining for Bloomberg Intelligence. And certainly uh, General Motors, Fiat, Chrysler, uh, they are poised for demand to drop and they are reporting uh, pickup sales uh, drop already today. And we'll get uh, details on those as we uh, get them. Right now, I want to bring in Matt Bosler, Federal Reserve reporter for Bloomberg News. Uh, we are, of course, awaiting the second day of testimony from Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell. Uh, Matt, how much does it matter that we got very solid uh, personal income data as well as jobless claims uh, showing that the rate has fallen to the lowest for a week in almost 50 years? Yeah, not bad, right? I think the bottom line is that it's just going to reinforce the message that he gave on Tuesday, which is that we've seen an improvement in economic data since December, the last time the Fed put out rate projections. And so in two weeks, when they put out new rate projections, uh, there's a chance that you know those rate projections could go up based on that improvement. Nothing we saw this morning really knocks them off that path. Uh, interestingly, inflation was a little weak, but at this point, uh, it definitely looks like the Fed is more you know focused on the forward-looking growth outlook and the potential impact that's going to have on inflation down the road, even if the inflation data right now are still looking a little muddy. Matt, uh, he'll be testifying, uh, Jerome Powell will be testifying before the U.S. Senate Banking Committee. And I'm wondering if you could give us any thoughts about whether the questioning coming from uh, Michael Crapo, the uh, chairman, Republican from Idaho, as well as uh, Sherrod Brown, uh, for the Democrat from Ohio, whether the questioning coming from uh, both sides will be any different than what we listened into on Tuesday when uh, he testified before the House? Yeah, I think uh, it, that's a really inter interesting question because... Because what we saw on Tuesday was, you know, House Republicans over the last several years have been much more critical of the Fed. Uh, they've gone after the Fed on the large balance sheet and, um, you know, monetary policy rules, wanting to bind the Fed more to rules. Um, and I think there was some question about whether that was just because, you know, we had a more Democratic Fed leadership in the likes of uh, Bernanke and Yellen. Um, now we have Jay Powell, who's obviously a Republican, but he was not spared from those same criticisms that his predecessors got from House Republicans. So, um, you know, the Senate tends to be a little friendlier. Uh, we'll see how that goes for him. Dave, you know, it was notable uh, the last time that Federal Reserve Chair Powell went before Congress members Tuesday, uh, the market did move. He did uh, cause a reaction. 
stocks went down. Do you think that he will cause a similar reaction today if he reaffirms his stance in a solid U.S. economy? Well, I mean, if you think about why you saw the reaction that you did on Tuesday, it's all about kind of some itchy trigger fingers, you might say, when it comes to inflation and the Fed's response to that. You know, the idea that you might get four rate increases this year instead of three. I mean, that sort of uh, emerged from his back and forth with uh, folks in Congress. So, you know, I mean, that's sort of out there. And it's really a matter at this point, would he say anything to sort of go beyond that in terms of uh, providing any uh, fodder for those trying to divine the Fed's uh, next moves on policy? Yeah, but he does now have the information and the experience based on his Tuesday uh, presentation and testimony about how the stock market, how the bond market reacts to comments that he makes that he may not even really have been trying to alter anybody's perception that in other words he sees what he what the reaction is and now what do you think that it's possible he'll modify any of his uh, responses probably not um you know it's interesting because going into that hearing you know we had had so many weeks of rising interest rates pricing in more and more fed moves and so you know for jay powell coming in at the end of that uh, rise in interest rates and saying, well, you know, kind of hinting that they might go four instead of three times this year. Most of that was already priced in. So um, it would be even more surprising if he reiterates that message today and we see a market reaction. But you said priced in, I mean, even before his testimony. Yeah, it was getting more and more priced in, right? I mean, you almost had three rate hikes fully priced even before his testimony, which obviously indicates a significant probability of doing more than that. So if you look at the data now, if you go on the work function today, uh, we're at about a one in three chance already that we get four or more rate right. hikes this year. But I'm saying that's what's different. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but but it just, you know, given that he endorsed that uh, on on Tuesday already, it's hard to see how much more he could move the market in that direction at this point. I want to bring some data that just came out, economic indications of more strength manufacturing in the U.S. expanding at the fastest pace since May 2004. This according to figures from the Institute for Supply Management uh, that came out just minutes ago. Dave, you know, the economic data in the U.S. has been really steadily solid and, and frankly improving. Are we seeing, and we've talked a lot about earnings coming out, we're coming to the end of this earnings season. Uh, is there an expectation that this will continue? I mean, are, were earnings better even than this economic data? Well, sure. I mean, when you consider S&P 500 profit growth is looking like 16% at this point, I mean, that's saying something. And, you know, that then you add in, in terms of this year, uh, the effect of the tax cuts uh, that were made. Here, I'll give you and, the stats. I'll give you the 20%. 75% of the companies uh, for the um, S&P 500 have been reporting earnings that are ahead of estimates for the fourth that's quarter. That's a little bit higher than we've seen historically. Right. That's and that's uh, just to put that into context, uh, more than 90% of the companies in the S&P right. 500 have already reported their results. Well, yeah. 
And you're seeing it on the uh, top line as well. I mean, with uh, more companies than usual coming out ahead on sales. And that's where you, if you want to talk about how business is doing and how the economy is doing, I mean, focusing on the top line makes a whole lot more sense because, you know, you don't have the issues of uh, stock buybacks and whatnot that uh, can influence the bottom line. Yeah, and right now, I, just to let you know, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell is giving his introductory speech. Uh, Matt, is the Fed getting behind the curve? Uh, I don't think there are really any indications of that, certainly not in the inflation data. You know, again, the inflation data this morning were actually pretty weak. And, you know, sort of these pro-cyclical components of inflation that we've talk- been talking a lot about, you know, the ones that ostensibly respond the most to Uh, tightening labor markets are all going in the wrong direction for the most part. So, um, you know, there's the, the, the key question continues to be, will the Phillips curve eventually reassert itself? The Phillips curve, meaning that the lower the unemployment rate uh, goes, typically the higher the inflation rate should go. It's an inverse correlation between inflation and unemployment rates. Exactly. So if you look at what the Fed is saying right now, what Jay Powell is saying, the kind of the whole Fed story is that, you know, we're getting bigger than expected fiscal stimulus. So that's going to lead to faster than expected economic growth which in turn is going to push the unemployment rate down faster than we previously thought, which should put more upward pressure on inflation. But, you know, there's nothing new here in terms of the unresolved question of whether that sort of Phillips curve relationship is actually going to reassert itself. It's just that we now have a bigger impulse, you know, if you do believe the Phillips curve is still operative, which most of the Fed do. And so that is why they are speeding up right now, even in the absence of any pickup in inflation. Well, one thing just to mention in terms of the economy is that there is a shortage of truck drivers. And we know that commerce in the United States depends on trucks. I believe it's uh, somewhere in the order of about 70% of the nation's freight volume by weight moves by truck. And if you don't have people to drive those trucks, you're going to have to pay those that do more, and you're going to have to pay more for those that may want to get those jobs uh, in order to attract them from something else. Well, and Dave, to that point, I mean, how much are the wage increases that we are seeing, even if they're not, uh, you know, runaway by any means, how much are they eating into the profitability of some of these companies? Not so much at this point. It's a question of does it broaden out? I mean, bear in mind when a lot of companies talked about what they were going to do with their tax cut money. Uh, they decided to give bonuses to workers rather than increasing annual wages. So it's a one-time deal, which minimizes the effect going forward. I mean, that said, the kind of issues that Pim has been talking about, given how low the unemployment rate is, it, it's something that's got people's attention. And there is no doubt that in some areas of the economy, you know, trucking being an example, uh, that uh, you are going to see uh, higher wages. And in fact, it's already started to happen. So, uh, Matt, uh, just uh, look going forward. What can we what are the sort of key words that we're waiting for from Jay Powell? What are you watching for? So I think, you know, it's going to be it's going to continue to be an interesting discussion um, about the fiscal stimulus, you know, when they ask him what, uh, you know, that is going to do to to, you know, Fed interest rates. I mean, you saw that a little bit and we talked about it on Tuesday before uh, beforehand. Uh, This is really becoming quite politicized. And so 
you had some Democrats um, in the House Financial Services Committee trying to push Powell to say, well, doesn't this, you know, like ill-timed tax cut mean you're going to have to raise rates more quickly and that's bad, et cetera, et cetera, trying to box him in that way. Um, and he he kind of avoided that. So I think that is the, the, the first thing. And then the other thing is, um, do we get more of a substantive discussion about um, the inflation target and whether he thinks 2% um, is really an adequate target or if they need to move to something more robust like a price level targeting regime. We didn't really get into that um, much on Tuesday, but that is definitely one of the biggest conversations in Fed circles right now. Well, Thank just to put into context about the, the incomes and yeah. spending, you know, we got the report today, right? Yeah. And after tax income jumped nine tenths of a percent, that's the most in a year. That's according to the Commerce Department. That's just released this morning. Yeah. And real disposable income increased the most in about five years. That's uh, when you strip out uh, different inflation measures. So it does seem to be that wages are increasing. But is it enough? And does it really get completely offset by the higher rents and the higher medical costs? Because whenever I hear disposable income, I have to wonder, you know, is it really disposable? Because some of the same measures that we've used in the past perhaps don't work That's quite true. the same. Yeah, indeed. Um, uh, Dave Wilson, Bloomberg Sachs editor, uh, columnist, and blogger at M Live Go on the Bloomberg. Thank you so much. Matt Bosler, we know you have a busy day ahead of you of Fed watching, Fed tea leave reading. Matt Bosler, Federal Reserve reporter for a Bloomberg, also joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.